Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church, Auburn, where we sit down weekly with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and seek to apply God's Word to our daily lives. We hope that this podcast will profit you as you join us. Hello and welcome back to Conversations, a podcast from Christ Presbyterian Church, Auburn. I'm your host, William Skinner, and I'm joined again by Pastor Eric Zellner. Eric, how are you? Hey, William. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. We're happy to come back with another episode, and today's episode, well, we're not really going to say what it's about yet. Um, we're going to pick up where we left off. We talked about church membership and a biblical basis for what it means to be a, a member of the body of Christ, and then we talked about who Christ has appointed to govern his church. And today, uh, we're going to get into a little bit more of what it means to be a part of the church. But first, I'll ask Eric, Eric, um, what is the purpose of the assembled church? Oh, yeah. the uh, William, it's a great question. You know, obviously, the church is the one institution for which Christ died. Like, Jesus didn't die for uh, for random parachurch organizations. He died specifically for the church. And so the church is for the gathering of God's people, the gathering and perfecting of the saints. That's the way we talk about that, which means that uh, it, it includes the concept of an assembly. It includes the concept of of an ongoing process of being transformed. So when we say the gathering and perfecting of the saints, we really mean that this is the way in which God pools together His people in a body that is that communes together and fellowships together, but is also transformed together, right? So we there's no such thing as as I watch TV at home and and watch church on TV, or I listen to good sermons when I'm sitting in my deer stand. Uh, that's not a part of the church. Being a part of the church means that you're actually a gathered body of believers, and you're there to be perfected. So all of the one anothering passages of the scripture, uh, love one another, serve one another, um, those those kind of passages can only be lived out in a practical way inside the body of the church. Right. And right now we're we're studying in our church, First Corinthians, which time and time and time again says when you are assembled together. That's right. um, so if you said that we are to be transformed or perfected, um, is does God just leave how that work is done up to the whims of each pastor or each church, or does He set forth a pattern for how that transformation is to take place? Right. How? To, yeah. So the heart of that question is: Okay, if we're gathered and assembled together, how are we transformed? How are we perfected in Christ? And we recognize that we're talking about a long lifetime story, right? But um, the Lord has given us ordinary means, and this is we, we use the word ordinary not because they're um, not because they're base or simple, but simply because it's a it's a common, constant way in which Jesus nourishes His church. And those, you know, if you're asking, what are the ordinary means of the church of grace? Like, how does Jesus do this? He does it through His Word preached. He does it through prayer, and He does it through the sacraments. And so. Today, you know, I, I'd like to just spend some time talking about what preaching means, 
and how we can best nourish a congregation with the preaching of God's Word. All right, so there we have it. So today we are talking about the preaching of the Word. So I guess we just already said the preaching of the Word, but um, when we say preaching, um, I guess to me, I'm, I was, you know, we're born in the South, <laughs> so we kind of know what preaching is, but that might be a foreign concept to some people. But uh, what exactly is preaching, and why did we already assert that the preaching is of God's word. Yeah, you know the uh, the scripture tells us that that preaching is is kind of a New Testament concept for the delivery of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's actually how the word of God goes forth. Um, there's there's some really um, beautiful images in the scripture where uh, the word of God is unpacked or unfolded uh, after the resurrection. There's a passage in Luke chapter twenty four verse 27, um, and there it's the, the road to Emmaus. If you remember hearing about the road to Emmaus, two of, two of them are going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, and they're, they're walking along with each other, and Jesus appears to them, but he doesn't reveal to them that he is Jesus. And they begin to tell, you know, he, he's like, what are y'all talking about? And they they say, don't you know what's been happening in Jerusalem over the past several days? I mean, it's the biggest event in world history. And, uh, and he begins to tell them, uh, and it says in 2427, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus preaches a sermon about himself that traces it all the way back from the beginning uh, to the resurrection. And, and so... In this uh, concept, we, we recognize that the New Testament word for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ is preaching. And since all Scripture points to Christ, all Scripture has to be proclaimed. And you might say that Christ becomes the lens through which all of Scripture is interpreted and understood, right? So, um, so in Acts 20, Paul talks about we have um, preached the whole counsel of God. We've been faithful to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, and so, basically, you might say that preaching is simply the the unfolding, the communicating of this good news of Jesus Christ, and how all of the Bible is viewed through that lens. Well, I really wish we could have could have been there um, <laughs> to hear that. That would have been incredible. So, um, I guess we hear a lot about when I grew up after each sermon. Um, there's an opportunity to walk down the aisle and uh, profess my faith in Jesus Christ, or urge anyone to profess their faith in Jesus Christ. And um, while I no longer would say that I believe that's the correct order of worship or response to a sermon, I'd, we do believe, or we would say that um, God works through preaching. Yeah, and, uh, and every worship service doesn't have to end that way, right? right? But so you can say, I certainly recognize that there's a time for conversions. There's a time for people to profess, to profess their, faith. their faith in Christ. It just doesn't have to be at the end of every single week, right? So how does God work through preaching for salvation? Yeah, so um, preaching is uh, is God's ordained means of salvation. We know that because in in Romans chapter ten, uh, verse fourteen. It says, how then will they call on Jesus in whom they have not 
believed, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And then he goes on to quote the Old Testament scriptures to say that this has always been God's ordained means. Uh, it, the fascinating thing is that um, this is the means through which God has chosen to deliver his word. And it's never been popular. And what, what I mean by that is like if we, if we read that today and we go, well, I can't believe that, um, that we're still doing these old ways, uh, we should be really clear. Preaching has never been a popular di- dynamic or idea. Um, and yet the Word of God, when it's opened and unfolded, is uh, sufficient to provide for everything that the pastor himself doing this, the preaching and the people of God doing the hearing need in order to learn to walk with God, in order to enjoy a relationship with Christ, and to live that out in a godly life. So that's why um, it's the unfolding of who God is, His character, and His being, and it's His ordained means of how that happens. And I'm starting to get the sense of that's why it's referred to as the ordinary means of grace. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not simple. It's not like you just simply read a passage, then come tell us what it means. You spend hours laboring in the Word, but you it, it's the ordinary thought of preaching you know, God's Word to God's people, and we trust that it, it will work. That's right. So th- there's this word that some people may not be familiar with called expository preaching. Um, could you tell me a little bit about what what expository means and how that would differentiate preaching um, from from other types, other types of preaching. Sure, yeah. Expository preaching would be would be held up against what I would call topical preaching. The topical preaching says uh, we begin with the concept that the pastor wants to speak on a specific topic, and so then he goes to the scriptures and he finds some passages that would support that topic. Um, so the pastor wants to speak on. Um, on uh, loving your neighbor. He's going to go find some passages on loving your neighbor. He wants to speak about how to obey the civil government. He's going to go and find some passages on how to obey the civil government. Expository preaching stands a, 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 um, as, an, as an alternative, which I believe is really the more biblical alternative, and that is uh, you actually walk, you, you basically go to the text and you determine what the text is actually saying. So the pastor doesn't come to the text with a an intent to lay out a topic, but he comes to the text and says, let's figure out what is here, right? So uh, that means, and the word expository means um, that I am bringing out uh, what is here. And and the sermon is developed according to the emphasis of the text, not according to the emphasis of what the pastor wants to just talk about on that day. Now, I would add to that one more one more concept, and that is you know, you mentioned that we're preaching through 1 Corinthians right now. Our previous study was in the book of Genesis. Um, it, it is almost impossible to go and land in Genesis and preach um, a sermon from Genesis 34 without catching the context of all that's gone on before that. Uh, but when you when you read the Bible, you read it in a systematic way. You started a book and you start walking through a book. Well, we want to preach that same way. And so this is what we call systematic expository preaching. That just means that we start at the beginning of a book, 
we walk through that scripture, the whole book. And by doing that, what we actually do is it is it makes sure that Eric doesn't get to choose what the topics are. God gets to choose what the topics are. And in doing that, we also find that we I avoid certain hobby horses that I might find as my favorite topics to discuss. Um, it also keeps me from avoiding texts of Scripture that I wouldn't otherwise speak to. A few weeks back, um, I preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's really not a passage that I would have chosen on my own. It talks about conjugal rights in marriages. It talks about marriage and divorce. And, and those are things that I wouldn't uh, on my own, come to and go, you know what I think I need to do? I think I need to preach this. But on that same Sunday, we had a couple of visitors who said to me, I've never been in a church where where somebody dealt with that passage. And this is a person who'd been in a church or the church for probably 40-something years, right? But if you if you don't practice expository preaching in a systematic way, then it's easy to miss very important passages of Scripture, right? Does God say anything about marriage and divorce? You bet He does, right? But it doesn't have to be up to the pastor to come up with, all right, it's it's uh, May 16th, I guess I'm going to preach on marriage and divorce. Far better to, to start with a book and walk through the book. It also challenges the pastor to be willing to, to study what the text really says and to... Uh, it, it really... And at some level, you'd say, well, it doesn't make your job harder. Um, yes and no. Yes, because I'm going to deal with things that I may choose not to deal with, but no, because I suddenly get the context far better than I would if you just told me to, hey, land in James and preach James chapter 2. Um, context is always helpful in that. So anyway, that's what that's what we are talking about with expository preaching. On a side note, in relation to that, I remember on, on probably a year and a half, almost two years ago, when we were going through Genesis, you ended up preaching Genesis chapter 19 which is the story of Lot and how he had a child by his daughter. He was deceived, and it's a terrible wickedness in the story. But I think a resounding note from the congregation was how we had been helped by that sermon. And that's a part of the diet of God's Word that we would have never gotten had you not preached expository preaching. And ultimately, it's believing. The, The Bible speaks to things that are really complicated, um, and it, it doesn't avoid those things. And we can whitewash the Scriptures by pulling away and just dealing with topics that we want to deal with. But if we'll actually embrace the way the Scripture is written, that it's meant to be preached that way, then you actually have a far more honest document, a far more honest belief in what the Scripture is communicating. And you walk away and you recognize we're not supposed nobody's celebrating that horrible passage. The Bible's not celebrating that horrible passage. It's speaking into a fallen world and going, this is what happens when someone walks away from the, the blessings of God and chooses to live outside the covenant relationship with God. That's actually a it's a it's a an account that testifies to consequences. Um so anyway, yeah, you're that's a great reminder. It'd kind of be like if you had like a, a five year old. And you give them a plate full of food. You know, they have their, their meat, their grain or you know, mm-hmm. carbohydrate, and they have a, a vegetable. And you say, you know, here's the options, and you choose what you want to eat. Oh, yeah. They're throwing away the vegetable. Every time. Every single mm-hmm. time. And then 
they're malnourished. Mm-hmm. They're not going to mature. They're not going to grow. Yeah. No, that's right. That's exactly right. And I do, you know, when I'm describing what we're talking about here, when I'm describing systematic expository preaching to uh, our new members class or something like that, I will mention to them, I'll just make reference to the to a picture of my children. Uh, here's here's my son when he was five, right? And here's my son now that he's 14. Uh, and you look at him and you go, you know, I lived each day with this boy, and it was imperceptible from day to day that he was growing, but he was growing, right? And it grew because he was fed ordinary meals, right, uh, that included meat, vegetables, and starches. Um, and and it's as though I blinked and he's suddenly big and strong and healthy, right? Um, the same is true with the Word of God. So if we just decided to make our diet out of chocolate cake and dessert uh, or or the passages of Scripture that we find the easiest to deal with, you do get a malnourished congregation. You get people who haven't learned what it what it is like to be fed and nourished on the rich depths of what's here. So consequently, I anticipate as a pastor, and I think the congregants can optimistically anticipate this as well, I'm going to be spiritually uh, further along in five years than I am today. And that's because of the these ordinary means of grace. I'm not, I don't think anybody walks away. I think people might walk away on a particular Sunday and go, oh, that sermon was very helpful. I think if I asked most people in our congregation, hey, do you remember what I preached on on March 23rd? They'd go, uh, no, no. And that's completely fine. The reason that's completely fine is it's not about me. And I recognize that on that particular day, they were fed and nourished from the Word of God. And that was sufficient because God did a work that I don't even have to understand or know about. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and they're gradually picking up tools that you're giving them to approach the Bible day in and day out. Yeah, and it's just because the Bible is being opened. That's all it is. Hmm. So when you, um, I guess now we've talked about, you know, how you feed us with the Word and the importance of the way you do it. Could, could we kind of talk about now how, what goes into you um, preparing a sermon, what are some dangers um, that you could fall into when it comes to expository preaching? Yeah, I think, you know, when you think about expository preaching and you say, we're really committed to this, in order to be committed to this, you have to, you have to prepare for that preaching. Because I'm not coming to the passage with my own topic in mind and trying to make it say what I want it to say, I actually have to figure out through some pretty a decent, diligent study each week, what is actually in the text and what does the text mean to say? So it requires good preparation. Um, it also, I'm, this is why I'm a firm believer that um, that seminary is helpful. It's, it's, it adds to your ability to be trained in understanding how to read and study the scriptures. Um, and, I, and I make that statement. Somebody might say, well, you know, I, the disciples weren't seminary trained, right? They were fishermen. Well, the vast majority of seminary um, is helping us bridge the chasm that exists in being 2,000 years post Jesus's earthly ministry and on the other side of the globe from Jesus's earthly ministry. So, so seminary is helping us learn context of what's going on there. It's teaching us to read the Bible as it's as it's written in that context. It's also um, helping us bridge uh, the chasm of things that we would not know 
because we're talking about a document that was written in the in the ancient Near East for people who lived thousands of years before us. So uh, I think I'm just a firm believer that you know you got to have weekly training. It helps to have seminary in order to be able to do that because it prepares you for how to read a good the document well. Um, and then you can also I, I, I've never been a person who could who could just take one single verse. Um, and and preach that. I think you have to preach a significant enough portion of Scripture that you get the whole context. Um, and then the other thing that I think is possible for a pastor to do when he's preaching uh, is to try to impress the congregation with uh, cute or clever information that he found out. You know, I found out the wall in Jerusalem was this wide or this long, you know, and uh, or even, you know, what this word really means in... Greek is this, and there are times that that can be um, useful, but if you're just doing that in order to communicate facts about the text, that's actually different from what we said preaching really is. Preaching is the New Testament word for proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So even if the congregation walks away and goes, you know, Eric is so smart— that's not spiritually helpful, you know? What's actually helpful for them is to encounter Christ in the Scriptures um, and to suddenly be confronted by the help of the Holy Spirit. Right. Well, thank you. That was helpful. So if we, looking at the third thing that you mentioned there, um, selecting just like a verse out of the Scriptures, um, I think that was a very interesting point and very helpful. I think if we just to make an example of that, if we talk about John chapter three verse sixteen, for God so loved the world, right? We we all know John sure. uh, three sixteen. Um, you know, if we take that verse and we just isolate that verse by itself, it says one thing. But if we look at it in context of where it sits, you know, it's 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 all true. But we can't just we can't read the whole Bible like we read the Proverbs, you know, a, a wisdom statement after a wisdom yeah, statement. And, and I think usually, William, what we're talking about is, you know, it may, it may be that you can read John three sixteen on its own and recognize that it makes a point, and it's probably and it's a biblical point at some right. level, right? But the scripture becomes, and, and this is my my real contention, the scripture actually becomes more rich, mm-hmm. more full when I become aware of the context into which it's written. So. Um, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is sneaking up to Jesus at night to ask this question, and he's kind of embarrassed about it. Um, And you suddenly recognize that he's talking about what it means to be born again, and Nicodemus is processing in his head all that it means to be born again. Um, and, And so, you know, there's this... What Jesus is basically saying is, you're gonna have to look. Those who want to be saved are going to have to look in the direction of the Christ. That's me. Um, and it, it ends up being so much more rich and full in that regard. Absolutely. And we'd never, we'd never get that if we just isolated the verse from this rich context. And the more we dig in, we see there's Old Testament being quoted. And um, like you started out with in Luke 24, you know, the Old Testament proclaiming Jesus, Jesus saying, this whole thing's about me. And so that's the, that's what we'd risk. Um, so I, I love that point. Yeah, and, and going back to that comment, William, you you know, concerning you you 
said, I think, and, and it's a it's a great comment. We would all feel that way. I wish that I could have been there when Jesus would have explained to the apostles what all that unfolding of it. So, but you and I can take comfort as readers of the New Testament in this way. Uh, we have it, really. Uh, we have it because Jesus said it and gave it to these disciples. And so when we pick up the book of Matthew, and Matthew wants to quote Isaiah, we go, where did Matthew get that from? Well, Luke 24 says, those, not just those two disciples, but all of the disciples of Jesus, the first apostles, got it from the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus was actually the one who taught them, and they began to teach. I just think, more than anything... Right. So um, I think today when a lot of people think about ultimately, you know, we're not just talking about preaching for the sake of talking about preaching, but we're talking about preaching and talking about how to perfect the church as you started us on. So talking about perfecting the church and growing the church, maturing the church. When we think about that, I think a lot of people today would think about programs or um, sadly, they would think about you know a pragmatic way to to strengthen the church, and they would look at signs of a healthy church for numbers or budgets. Um, what what would you say to that? Because we've talked about the ordinary means of grace and preaching. How how would you contend that preaching is better? Well, I mean, I think, and this is you know, people make decisions about churches quite often based on they have a good youth group for my kids, or they have the kind of programs that I want for my kids. Um, And I actually think that's the exact opposite of the way, you know, when the Bible talks about the church, it talks about a place where, where people are nourished in the Word and they grow in community and things like that. Um, And so what I would say in, in, in comment to people who make those decisions is, Ultimately, you're you're. <laughs> I got a lot of things to say, but like ultimately, you're making a comment to your children, and you're telling them probably they get to run how the household functions, right? A, a parent who um, wants to think differently, who wants to actually consider what would ultimately be good. Now, there's nothing wrong with good big youth groups. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just a firm believer that making your decisions based on the programs of the church almost always leads you to a place that you hoped you'd never be anyway. And that is, well, it's so surprising. My children are walking away from the faith. Well, uh, in contrast to that, if you put not just your children but yourself around the regular preaching of God's Word in a systematic way, you're actually deepening their diet in the Word, their nourishment in the Word. So therefore, I don't have any confidence that the youth pastor sawing a pumpkin in half with a chainsaw at Halloween is going to be nearly as spiritually effective for my child's soul, even if, it, even if the guy's got a great application or something to go <laughs> along with it or a text to prove why he did it. I don't suspect that's going to be nearly as effective 
as a regular steady diet of walking through the scriptures. And that and that's true for all of us, isn't it? I mean, so uh, look, I like uh, I like in my churches good music. I like in my churches the people that I want to go to church with. Uh, we all have friends, and we want to do that. But it's important to choose our our churches uh, based on whether the scripture is taught faithfully uh, and the word is preached. That was great. So, I guess um, we've we've covered a lot uh, in this time with preaching and. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add onto onto yeah. this? Let me let me just say one last thing. That is that the the preaching of the word um, it must be accompanied by the help of the Holy Spirit, or else it's really a it's really devoid of power. Um, it is not a uh, you know I used to be in sales before I went into seminary and into ministry, and I I remember going to sales meetings and listening to motivational speeches and. Um, I have a really just because I'm just because of the way I'm wired. I have kind of a low tolerance for that. So even like the coach's pep talk doesn't usually move me. Um, now I say that um, because because preaching isn't just a pep talk. Preaching isn't and can't be just simply. I'm going to give you some motivational words to help carry you till next week. Um, Everywhere in Scripture, and I like to think of Ezekiel 37, it's the Valley of Dry Bones, uh, and, and God tells Ezekiel to start preaching to these dry bones. And the question that's hanging over that text is, is it even possible for these dry bones to live? And God says, it is possible if my Spirit makes them alive. And so when we think about preaching, it's important to recognize that the Word of God has to be accompanied by the Holy Spirit, or else what we're doing is really nothing more than a motivational speech. And and to be blunt, there is no power in a motivational speech. There's no power to transform a life, right? And halftime speeches can make players play differently for the next 30 minutes of a game, um, the next 15 minutes of the game, whatever, whatever sport it is. But they cannot transform the person from the inside out. And systematic expository preaching, when accompanied by the, the Holy Spirit, is the one thing that has that power um, to do that very thing. That's why you know we're talking about these means of grace. This is how God dispenses His grace. And it's not just a guy standing there talking, it's because the Spirit accompanies that. And it actually works. Yeah. yeah. yeah and that, you know, I think we've all seen that. Uh, everybody's got a story of... of Brother so and so said something, or Pastor so and so said something, and I I heard this guy talking on this particular text, and and everybody who walks with Christ has some of those moments where they go, oh man, I totally remember the way that was convicting to me. Well, it wasn't convicting because the guy was eloquent. It was convicting because the Holy Spirit moved in your heart and made it land, right? Otherwise, our hearts are are hard soil, uh, and they wouldn't receive the word. Anyway, that's all. That's that's where I would conclude. I just think that we we would be negligent if we if we said we we could do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been very helpful for me, and I, I trust it'll be helpful for all of our listeners. So, thank you for for that. Yeah, thank you so much for having us today, William. Well, to to all who listen to our podcast, we hope and pray that you've been helped by. Um, 
this this podcast on preaching and worship and we will continue next week with the other ordinary means of grace getting into the sacraments namely the lord's supper and baptism so thank you for joining us we'll see you next time